welcome to the fifth episode of Go to Sleep. This is actually the second time I've recorded this fifth episode. The first time, it was live for about ten minutes before my fiancé called me into our bedroom to ask me to turn it off because she said it was the opposite of a go to sleep. It was more like a stay awake. And the reason for that is that I was recording it the night before I left for a trip abroad, and I was incredibly stressed about the trip, packing, the flight, airports, whatever, and it turns out that being very, very stressed is not the right mood to record a podcast intended to help people fall asleep. So I was reading so quickly and with so much intensity in my voice that it actually was giving her stress, anxiety, and probably would have resulted in very, very bad dreams. So I quickly pulled the episode, but unfortunately that meant that I didn't have time to record one for the week I was gone. And when I got back, I immediately got a minor cold, the kind you get from traveling far away. So today is the first day that I've had a chance to record a new episode, uh, and that's what I'm doing. So it's nice to be back. I had a great trip. I was in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. It was my first time in South America uh, visiting a friend. I might have talked about it on the last episode. I don't remember. But um, it was a wonderful trip. I I ate a lot of good food. I saw some sights. Spent a lot of time with my friend. I I had a good time, and uh, and I and I learned a little bit about you know a different culture and a different way of life. Tried a bunch of new foods, that kind of thing. I'm really glad I went, but it was tiring. It is so tiring to travel, and I'm leaving again in, on Saturday. So for quite a while, actually, for maybe a month, a month and a half, something like that. I'm going to try to record episodes to play while I'm gone, but if not, I'm going to bring my laptop with me this time, so I will be able to do it on the road, although the quality might not be quite as good. So we'll see. But um, but I'm excited. This is going to be a big trip. Me and my fiance, we're going to all kinds of different places. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll get back and, and really start planning the wedding. We, we made our save the date card today, or at least we took the photos for it. We're doing kind of like a um, photo booth kind of theme. So she made signs and we held them up we need to get this sent out because, you know, six months away, seven months away, seems like a long time, but people have to make plans. So hopefully we'll, we'll get that taken care of soon. And, uh, and then we'll go on this trip and then we'll come back and pretty much be full-time wedding planners for a while. All right. Well, this week I'm going to be reading from a book called Mosaic of New Mexico's Scenery Rocks and History, and the book is from 1972, from the New Mexico Bureau of Mines and Mineral Resources, from the Scenic Trips to the Geologic Past series, and I'll be reading from a chapter called Rocks That Shape the Enchanting Landscape. As old as the hills, how much more ancient can anything be? Yet New Mexico's hills its enchanting landscapes, were built in but the most recent minute of geologic time. Merely one geologic era ago, marine waters covered the state, 
and storm-tossed waves ruled where now the hot sun beats down on dry sands and cacti a mile above sea level. What determined the land of enchantment's landscapes? Shaping these landforms are the rocks of the earth's crust, the structure of those rocks, and the endless battle between the rocks and the atmosphere. A story spelled out in stone, the geologic history, the rocks determine. Eons ago it began, one billion, two billion, or perhaps even more billions of years ago, a history whose beginnings have been lost owing to destruction of its earliest records, a history written in the rocks that is divided into four general parts, the oldest rocks more than 600 million years old, almost devoid of traces of life, are the Precambrian rocks. The Paleozoic rocks, 230 to 600 million years old, are marked by ancient life. This was the period of invertebrates, animals without backbones. Mesozoic rocks, 70 to 230 million years old, formed in the era of dinosaurs and contained types of life that are intermediate between the ancient and modern animals and rocks of the Cenozoic era, 70 million years ago to the present, make up the latest chapter of the Earth's history. Events of the Cenozoic era have the greatest influence on New Mexico's landscapes, so let us begin the story at the dawn of the Cenozoic and return to the earlier geologic chapters later. The mountains, the plains, the rivers, and the lakes are all transitory features of the landscape created during the recent part of the Cenozoic era and all doomed to destruction in the near future, geologically speaking. Even so, some of the plains and mountains may predate man's evolution onto the Earth's scene. Gone were the late Mesozoic seas, never again during our lifetime, nor the lifetime of many future generations, will marine waters roll over New Mexico and sea-spawned creatures rule. For the first two-thirds of the Cenozoic, the Paleogene period, 25 to 70 million years ago, New Mexico suffered from the dying effects of the great Laramide upheaval of the Earth's crust. Large areas were exposed to the harsh erosion of steam and wind. The landscape looked as parts of southwestern New Mexico do today. Tall, rugged mountain ranges scattered in isolated patches amid wide, gravelly plains. But the climate was more humid, and while no large through rivers are known, local great swamps and lakes lay on the plains in debris-trapping lowlands. Scenery in north-central New Mexico may have been similar to today's, with mountains in the same general areas as the present-day Sangre de Cristo, Nacimiento, San Juan, and Brazos Ranges. Coarse-grained gravels were stacked up at the edges of the mountains, but out in the adjoining lowlands, floodplain sands and varicolored lake bed clays settled. Three low areas were basins of deposition where thick masses of sediments accumulated. The Rattan and Poison Canyon formations in the Rattan Basin near Rattan the Animus, Nacimiento, and San Jose formations in the San Juan Basin north and northwest of Cuba, seen along New Mexico Highway 44, with thinner deposits of the El Rito and Blanco Basin formations to the northeast of Cuba, and the Galisteo formation in the Galisteo Basin south and southwest of Santa Fe. Volcanic rocks, the Epinosa beds, overlie the Galisteo, but are not much younger in age. Reddish rocks of the Galisteo Formation crop out along U.S. Highway 85 at La Bajada Hill, about 20 miles southwest of Santa Fe. The Sandia Mountains area appears to have been a lowland. Silicified wood, chiefly of pines but with some oak and poplar, is abundant in the Galisteo Formation. Large logs up to 6 feet in diameter and 135 feet long have been found. In the great swamps of the Rattan Basin, where the climate was much like that of Georgia today, tall reeds, Water lilies, fig trees, palm trees, 
magnolias, and sycamores grew in profusion and contributed to the thick coal beds now mined there. The early ages of the Cenozoic saw the spectacular rise of the mammals to dominance over reptiles on land. Numerous remains of the early mammals are found in the Nascimiento and San Jose formations, including the famous Puerco and Torrejon faunas, as well as many clams, snails, fish, turtles, crocodiles, snakes, and birds. Southeastern New Mexico appears to have been relatively level, with only local hills and vast regions of featureless, stagnant but high plains, where erosion slowly ate downward. Deposition was slight, and most of the detritus was carried eastward, far beyond the state's borders. The red beds of the Baca Formation were laid down on the north flank of low mountains that extended intermittently from somewhere near Quemado toward Socorro. Some ancient hills near present-day Sierra Blanca shed rock fragments that accumulated near Capitan as the varicolored Cub Mountain Formation. Deeply eroded uplands northwest of Elephant Butte Reservoir supplied gravels and sands that mingled with antidesitic volcanic debris as the upper part of the McRae Formation in central Sierra County. Many of the weathered greenish and purplish volcanic rocks in southwestern New Mexico were extruded at this time, and beneath the surface these molten magma, hot liquefied rocks cut into older rocks, vapors, and hot solutions from the magmas are believed to emplace some of New Mexico's vast ore deposits during this time. The last phase of the Paleogene period, about 25 to 40 million years ago, was an earth-shaking time in New Mexico and the first explosion of an atomic bomb in 1945 on the Hornado del Muerto between Socorro and Carrizozo was a relatively low-energy yield event compared with the late Paleogene Earth movements. Almost the entire southwestern quarter of the state literally exploded with volcanic eruptions on a grand scale. These lava flows, rock brisias, ashes, pumice, and associated intrusives from the datal Mogollon Plateau, at least 100 miles in diameter, as part of the Datil Formation, which locally is miles thick, and made up the ma main mass as many other ranges near the Mexican border. Sierra Blanca, northeast of Alamogordo, is a huge, isolated volcanic mass of late Paleogene age. This widespread volcanic activity continued into the Neogene period, which began about 25 million years ago. Rhyolites, pumice, and perlite in the southwest, as well as in other parts of the state, covered wide areas. Mount Taylor, towering up to 11,389 feet near Grants, and visible on the western skyline from Albuquerque, is a neogene volcanic pile, as are parts of the Sangre de Cristo range northeast of Taos. Shiprock and Cabotzon Peak, landmarks in northwestern New Mexico, are volcanic necks, the eroded cores of ancient volcanoes. Valle Grande Caldera makes up the center of the Jemez Mountains west of Los Alamos, and is a late neogene volcanic mass with the central crater 16 miles in diameter, one of the world's largest calderas. Bandelier National Monument headquarters is within a canyon carved from Valley Grant's ashes. Volcanic ash scattered over the western parts of Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas was blown from this volcano. Kaplan Mountain, east of Ratton, is a huge recent cinder cone, and is surrounded by numerous basaltic lava flows that cap the high plains from Ratton eastward to Clayton. The very fresh black basalt flows near Carrizozo and in the valley of Rio San Jose near Grants are probably less than a thousand years old. Numerous mesas along the Rio Grande Valley from the Colorado line to El Paso 
are capped by black basalt flows of late Neogene age. Many of the present-day mountains were uplifted in early Neogene time, followed the climax of the great volcanic eruptions. This uplifting, in many instances, took place along one side of huge mountain masses, forming tiled fault blocks like the Sandia, Monsano, San Andres, and Sacramento Mountains. Rock beds in the Sandia Mountains, for example, dipped to the east, but were uplifted along a west-bounding fault zone, a huge break in the Earth's crust, as much as four miles. This was an earth-shaking event. However, the uplifting took place slowly, and indeed is continuing today as the Albuquerque area, along with the Rio Grande Valley southward to Socorro, is one of the most active earthquake areas in the state. Concurrent with uplift, other blocks of the Earth's crust sank, forming graben basins which were flooded with rock debris from the adjoining uplifts. A tremendous irregular graben, now followed by the Rio Grande, cut north-south across the state. Geologists label it the Rio Grande Structural Depression, Mountains on the east are the Sangre de Cristo, Sandia, Manzano, Los Pinos, Fa Cristobal, and Cobalo ranges. Those to the west include the Brazos, Jemez, Ladron, Socorro, Magdalena, and San Mateo Mountains. Within this complex graben, and around the bordering ranges, the colorful sandstones and siltstones of the Santa Fe group were deposited. These red, yellow, orange, and cream rocks are eroded in many places, such as near Santa Fe, to Badlands, characteristic of the landscapes along the Rio Grande Valley from Espanola southward to El Paso. Much brightly tinted silicified wood is found in these beds, and literally freight carloads of mammalian remains have been shipped to museums from outcrops near Espanola. In the basins amid the mountains of southwestern New Mexico, similar sands and gravels of the Gila conglomerate filled low areas. East of the mountains of central New Mexico that form a north-south chain of ranges from Ratton to Carlsbad, thin gravels of the Ogallala Formation were dumped onto the western edges of the high plains. They now cap the plains as well as make picturesque bluffs east of the Pecos River and southeast of Tucumacari, the caprock of that area. In northwestern Mexico, in northwestern New Mexico, isolated mesas are topped by the Chusca and Bidahochi formations. Similar sands, silts, and clays washed from adjoining highlands. The final episodes of landscape formation occurred during the Pleistocene epoch, the recent glacial period. Mountain valley glaciers occupied some of the higher parts of the state, as far southward as Sierra Blanca. Large lakes filled many of the closed basins, such as those near Instancia and south of Lordsburg, the Carasoso and Grant's basalt flows were extruded. The final tremendous explosions of Valley Grand spread volcanic ash over large regions. Sands, gravels, and clays were eroded and deposited by streams and in lakes, and sand dunes were heaped up in many areas. The glistening white gypsum dunes of White Sands National Monument, built up into 50-foot-high mounds windward of gypsiferous Lake Lucero, are spectacular products of the wind. The Rio Grande in its present valley probably is only as old as mid-Pleistocene, born during late uplift of its headwater mountains. The San Juan and Sangre de Cristo ranges in southern Colorado and northern New Mexico, initiated by floods of meltwaters from waning mountain glaciers. Some of the lower terraces along the Rio Grande are very young, being dated by radiocarbon methods at 2600 before present. Until shackled by Elephant Boot Dam in 1916, and smaller dams up and down the valley, the Rio Grande switched its course with every large springtime flood. Even with these man-made controls, 
the Rio carves new channels during floods and covers flooded fields with silt as the high waters recede. The highest points in New Mexico are in the north-central region. Here, along the backbone of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, tower Wheeler Peak, northeast of Taos and south Trucas Peak, northeast of Santa Fe. Snow lingers on these lofty spires all year round, except during an especially hot August. Highest peaks, they must be capped by the youngest rocks. But no, the quartzites and genises, hard rocks made up of quartz and feldspar, that hold up these pinnacles against the attack of water and ice, are among the oldest rocks known in the southwest, perhaps as much as two billion years old. These Precambrian rocks lay deep beneath the Earth's surface from early Paleozoic time until early Neogene time, then were uplifted along great breaks in the Earth's crust, uplifted slowly and intermittently during the span of time from about 20 million years ago to perhaps 1 million years ago. How did these ancient rocks form? What did New Mexico look like during the dawn of geologic history? The record in stone is fragmentary, but about two billion or so years back, thick masses of quartz sandstone were laid down in north-central Mexico, as well as vast lenses of mud and some beds of feldspar-rich sandstone. Volcanic activity was intense. Huge flows of rhyolite and andesite were poured out over most of the sate, and those in turn, along with the muddy and sandy sediments, were intruded by enormous masses of hot granite. Mile-high mountains were formed, and during the stretch of this early geologic time, called the Precambrian Era, the high peaks were eroded by rain, wind, and sun, until some were worn down to featureless plains sloping toward the ancient ancestral oceans. These Precambrian rocks now make up the cores of such mountain ranges as the Sandias east of Albuquerque, the Sangre de Cristo Range near Santa Fe, the Bidernal Hills south of Clean's Corners, the Burrow Mountains southwest of Silver City, the Brazos Range east of Tierra Amarilla, the Zuni Mountains southwest of Grants, and the San Andreas Mountains west of White Sands. As seen in Tejeras Canyon east of Albuquerque, the bulk of the ancient rocks are gray to pinkish granite and granite gneiss, speckled by crystals of biotite, microcline, orthoclase, and quartz. Quartzites, hardened sandstones, greenstone, and foliated mica schists are the older rocks that were intruded by granitic magmas about 1,350 million years ago, as indicated by dating of radioactive isotopes, KR and RBSR. Locally, pegmatite dikes, a late cooling, large crystal stage of the granites, crisscross the granite and contain excellent crystals of quartz, feldspar, and mica, as well as less common minerals. The famous Harding pegmatite near Dixon, about 40 miles north of Santa Fe, contains beryl, columbite tantalite, lepidolite mica, spodamine, and other rare minerals. Some of these crystals are 10 feet in length. There are some primitive types of plant and animal life known for Precambrian rocks outside of New Mexico, but the earliest beds that contain abundant fossils are those of Cambrian age, 500 to 600 million years old. Cambrian rocks in New Mexico are in the Bliss Sandstone, a reddish-brown, iron-rich bed, 50 to 200 feet thick, that occurs only in the southern part of the state. There it can be seen, for example, along the bold east-facing escarpment of the San Andres Mountains or the west-facing cliffs of the Caballo Mountains, as a dark band resting on the pinkish Precambrian granitic rocks. It is a shallow sea sand deposited on the northeastern edge of the Cambrian Seas, Scattered amid the brown-stained quartz, red hematite, and green glauconite 
are broken shells of trilobites and primitive brachiopods. Northern New Mexico was a low, broad island during Cambrian time, a source of some of the sands in the Bliss sandstone. During the Ordovician period, 425 to 500 million years ago, upper sands of the Bliss, as well as overlying limestones and dolomites, were deposited in the shallow, warm seas of southern New Mexico. These latter rocks are the El Paso limestone and Montoya dolomite. The Ordovician seas teemed with invertebrate life. Fifteen-foot-long cephalopods, as much as a foot in diameter, ruled the shallow seawater bottoms, munching on the abundant trilobites and the moss animals, the bryozoans. Numerous brachiopods, corals, snails, and clams also thrived, with many of the Ordovician carbonite rock beds literally being made up of these fossil remains. Near El Paso, these limey fossiliferous beds are nearly 2,000 feet thick, but they thin northward to a knife edge in thickness near Mockingbird Gap at the north end of the San Andres Mountains. Parts of the northwestern New Mexico may have been low islands exposed to the sun and erosion during Ordovician time, but most of the state was probably within an extensive shallow ocean. Later, erosion removed the Ordovician rocks from central and northern New Mexico. Silurian strata, the brown Fuselman dolomite, deposited during the middle of that period, remain only in the southern and southeastern parts of the state, thinning out northward from the thousand-foot-thick bed near El Paso. The extent of these middle Silurian seas is not known, as most of the central and southern northern New Mexico was undergoing erosion during the late Silurian time. The northward thinning of the Fusselman Dolomite is due chiefly to this erosion, evidenced by the knobby, rigid, and channeled top surface of the Fusselman. Brachiopods and corals are the most abundant fossils in the Fusselman Dolomite, Elsewhere, Silurian rocks are known for the sea scorpions, or Europterids, which attained a length of nine feet, and for the complete remains of primitive fishes. During early and middle Devonian time, most of New Mexico was a lowland, rotting beneath the sun. Feliciferous Devonian rocks are unknown in the north-central part of the state, but occur beneath the surface in the Four Corners region of northern New Mexico and the adjoining states. These rocks are of late Devonian age and consist of lower dolomite, and sandstone, middle shale and dolomite, and the upper Ure limestone. In southern New Mexico, a uniform blanket of dark limey muds called the Perchasha Shale was deposited during late Devonian time. This shale marks a great change from the limestones of earlier ages. In part, it is of black muds deposited in widespread or in local stagnant basins, and in part caliciferous, falciferous muds in which abundant invertebrate life was buried. The clay and quartz silt that make up the rocks were a weathered residuum that had accumulated during the long period of late Silurian and early and middle Devonian times on the lowland of central and northern New Mexico. Except in the stagnant basins, invertebrate life was prolific, brachiopods, bryozoans, and corals being especially numerous. Fossil fish remnants, chiefly teeth, are abundant in some of the sandy units, and outside of New Mexico the earliest amphibians occur in upper Devonian rocks. The oldest definitely known assemblage of land plants occurs in the Devonian, and forests containing 40-foot-high trees spread over the uplands. Such tree ferns, horsetail rushes, and lycopods may have grown in profusion on the swampy lowlands near Albuquerque's and Santa Fe's present sites, far north of the muddy Devonian seas of southern New Mexico. Mississippian rocks probably were deposited over most of New Mexico. Subsequent erosion removed much of the Mississippian beds in northern New Mexico. The remnants, 
less than 100 feet thick in most places, are of lower, sandy, and shaly beds overlain by massive crinoidal limestones. The Arroyo Penasco formation of the Nascimento and Sandia Mountains and the Terrero formation of the Sangre de Cristo Range east of Santa Fe. In southern New Mexico, the Mississippian beds are thick and widespread, being more than 1,000 feet in thickness in the southwestern panhandle. There, the rock units are the Escabrosa limestone of the southwest or the Lake Valley limestone of the central south part of the state. These are massive, feliciferous limestones precipitated in shallow, extensive seas, abounding with invertebrate life. Huge gardens of the sea lilies, creonoids, spread over the area, their remains mingled with those of lacy moss animals, the bryozoans, and with brachiopods and corals. Locally, as in the region of the Sacramento and San Andres Mountains and Black Range, mound-like fossil reefs called bioherms were built. Some of these bioherms in the Sacramento Mountains are mounds of feliciferous limestones, 350 feet high and several thousand feet in diameter. Beds on their flanks dip as much as 35 degrees and are made up of broken fossil hash calcite sands. One can stand at the base of these huge limestone hills and almost hear the ancient waves breaking against the reef and see the dying struggle of the brachiopod that left his shell in the reef flank sands. To the south, beginning near the present site of white sands, dark cherty limestones were laid down in stagnant waters to become the Rancheria limestone. This black to reddish-brown siliceous limestone is more than 300 feet thick near El Paso. There, its thin beds break down into slabs that resemble a jumbled woodpile. Northern New Mexico was above sea level during late Mississippian time. In some areas, caves developed in the porous limestones, and in other places the limestones were eroded to a residuum of chert and red clay. The land must have looked like the karst areas of Indiana, Kentucky, and Illinois today, with lost rivers flowing into sinkholes, numerous caves, and many underground rivers. Only the southernmost part of the state was awash in the late Mississippian seas, and in these salt waters, rocks of the Helms and Paradise formations settled. <sighs> they are typical nearshore beds of yellowish limey sandstone, green limey shales, and brown sandy oolitic limestones. Plant fossils occur intermingled with marine animal remains. The plant fragments were washed in the shallow seas from the land areas of the central and northern parts of the state. The Pennsylvanian period was a time of change. Previously, northern New Mexico had been an emergent lowland, or barely awash in shallow waters, while to the south, shallow but extensive seas held sway, the spawning ground of the vertebrates and invertebrates that evolved between 310 and 600 million years BC. But mountains were built during the Pennsylvanian, and the whole pattern of land and sea was altered. The sun rose on north-south aligned ranges, interspersed with north-south trending seas. <sighs> Somewhere north of Albuquerque, a mighty range of mountains, the Uncompahgre Range, arose to shed rock debris into adjoining ocean basins. To the southeast, a lower but prominent range, the Paternal Mountains, stretched from the present-day Paternal Hills southward to somewhere near Rudoso and Pinon. Rocks eroded from this landmass were dumped westward into the Orogran Basin, which occupied the region near the present-day White Sands. There, as much as 3,000 feet of beds accumulated, impure sandstones, dark shales, fragmental limestones, and even some gypsum during the end phase of Pennsylvanian sedimentation. 
Rocks filled the Delaware Basin in southeastern New Mexico. Limestones, standstones, and black shales that now produce oil and gas. In northwestern New Mexico, west of Grants and mostly west of the Zuni Mountains, a lowland area, the Zuni Islands, was the source of eroded residuum released into an ocean channel way that ran north-northwest through central New Mexico, from El Paso to Farmington. And in the northeast, granite hills of the Sierra Grande Arch stood above the shallow Pennsylvanian seas. In the Four Corners region, broken rock from the Uncompahgre Range was rushed westward into the Pennsylvanian Age Paradox Basin. Amid the classic limestones, black shale, gypsum, and salt of this basin are oil-bearing lenses. Today, oil wells pump this black gold from the ancient rocks, wells almost in the shadow of Shiprock's famous spire. The Pennsylvanian period was a time of coal-making on the greatest scale in the Earth's history. Extensive swamps and marshes, the habitat of peat and ultimately coal, were almost lacking in New Mexico. Thus, only thin, scattered lenses of coal occur in the Pennsylvanian beds of the state. The lands of this period were covered by tree ferns, scale trees, horsetail rushes, and primitive conifers. Okay, I think that's enough for today. I'll see you next time, and good night.